Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Good morning and welcome to Leading Off with True Blue LA. It's Wednesday, July 6th. Uh, July 6th is a date uh, I still remember uh, to this day. Not <laughs> I remember most dates uh, and they're pretty easy given what the calendar is, but a specific date that uh, stands out to me uh, is July 6, 1988. It's very odd because in the grand scheme of things, it was a regular season game. It was memorable, but not really like transcendent. But uh, the game 34 years ago still uh, resonates to me uh, in, in many ways. So July 6, 88, uh, the Dodgers were exactly halfway through uh, the most magical baseball season of my lifetime. Uh, they hit me in the sweet spot. I was 12. Um, yeah, just you all know about it. It's a great year. Anyway, I went to this game uh, against the Cardinals with my brother Greg. Um, I can't remember where we sat for that game. Uh, I'm not even sure if this was the same game, but I remember one time at a game with Greg, uh, I once stood up with my hands raised upon seeing a Dodger. I can't remember exactly who hit it. Uh, hit a ball into the air. I was certain that it was a home run headed for the, you know, the, the, the stands only to have the ball land harmlessly in the glove of an infielder still on the dirt. Uh, and that was a harsh lesson, uh, for me in depth perception. Um, and never, you know, don't jump to conclusions. You know, I learned to like watch the fielders, how they react, et cetera, et cetera. But, oh my God, the shame, um, the merciless mocking that only an older brother can deliver. Uh, in 88, I was 12. Greg was 22. Though in hindsight, this was very much deserved. Um, I will say I texted Greg uh, before recording this, uh, asking him if he remembers if the, if it was the same game. Uh, he said he, he wasn't exactly sure. Um, you know, him being much older than me, his memory's probably fading. Um, but... He thought maybe it was a, an Angels game in Anaheim. Uh, so who, who knows exactly when it was. But uh, it could have been 
a Dodger game. If it was this July 6th game, um, my memory was that it was a right-handed batter and the pop-up was to second base uh, with me thinking that it was a home run to left. But, you know, um, memory can it's, – it's just like this weird thing. I'll, I can remember insane details about the most meaningless stuff. Um, I will 100% always remember, for instance, that Eddie Murray had 184 hits in 558 at-bats in 1990 when he led the majors uh, with a 330 batting average or 3297 if you want to take it out one decimal further. Yes, that's still stuck in there. Uh, Wade, Bog, Wade Boggs uh, hit 368 in, uh, with 240 hits in 1985. Kurt Gibson in his MVP year with the Dodgers in 88 hit 25 home runs, drove in 76, and stole 31 bases. These are stuff uh, I learned from the back of Topps baseball cards. Maybe not so much the um, the Eddie Murray to the fourth decimal there, but, you know, that was an easy fix, figure, figuring it out once, uh, once it happened. But these are sort of burned into my soul. But the details of other baseball stuff left my brain long ago. So, like, I don't remember when this this um, you know the the pop up slash non home run happened. So very much could have been a left hander who hit the non home run pop up. If if it was, uh, there were two candidates in this July six game thanks to the box score of baseball reference. So with two on in the second inning against Cardinals starter Jose De Leon, who was by the way was two and nineteen for the nineteen eighty five Pirates, which another that's another tops infused memory in my brain um he induced a pop fly to shortstop by the lefty batting mike sosha uh john shelby who's a switch hitter but he was batting lefty against the right-handed de leon in the sixth he popped out to third base rather than hit a solo home run that would have tied the game it was only one nothing at that point so the dodgers didn't score in the first seven innings against uh, jose de leon they entered the eighth down three to nothing. So Fernando Valenzuela was pitching for the Dodgers in this game. He's pitching reasonably well. He was having a down year. It was kind of the first time he had showed the ill effects of basically seven straight years of being ridden super hard. Um, uh, just about as hard as anyone in baseball, I believe. Uh, I can't remember which stat it was. He either led the majors from 81 to 87 his first seven years in batters faced and was like one out behind jack morris for most uh, innings in the majors or he led in innings and was like one batter behind him they're super close but the fact was he was those are his uh, ages uh 20 to 26 years and then in 88 he was 27 and finally showing wear and tear from that uh so valenzuela uh, in 1988 ended up with an e well, around the time of this start um and, and most of the year he had an era around four and a half uh uh, he was he had more walks than strikeouts. Uh, it seemed like all year uh, in 2013, um, I went back and did like uh, week, weekly reviews uh, for the '88 season, uh, being the 25th anniversary, and that was a fun project. Although it was it took longer than I expected, but it was super fun to go back and lit, like just read all the game recaps and the coverage at the time because you know stuff you sort of miss again the memory thing. It was just fun to relive that and then sort of, you know, um, share it with others. That, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, but so it, it, there was a sort of debate that in the a lot of the reporting, especially later in the year, um, where Tommy Lasorda thought um, Fernando was hurt. Fernando insisted he was fine. 
Uh, and then, so in August in the LA Times, a quote from Lasorda said, I always felt that way, that something was wrong, uh, but he would never tell you because he's such a tremendous competitor. So finally, in August 1988, uh, um, I think almost exactly a month after this start, uh, Dodgers put Fernando Valenzuela on the injured list. So they, I think they made a big deal at the time. It, it, it was like the first time Fernando had uh, missed a start due to injury. I, there were other times where I think he got stuff pushed back. But he never really missed a start, um, so he kind of answered the bell. It was like two, 255 straight starts without missing one due to injury. So it was a, it was quite a run, but he finally landed on the injured list, and then he was kind of pretty much done for the year at that point. The last two months he barely pitched, ended up not pitching in the postseason. One of the indelible images of when the Dodgers won the pennant that year was um, uh, they're, they're celebrating on the field at Dodger Stadium at the end of Game 7. And they panned to the dugout, and you have an injured Fernando Valenzuela in a jacket and an injured Kurt Gibson in the jacket, both sitting there just sort of watching. It was like, oh, man, brutal. Um, but so uh, back to this uh, July 6th game. So Fernando's pitching. He goes seven innings, allows three runs. It was a good start. They replaced him with Tim Cruz um, in the top of the eighth, and then that set the stage for a Dodgers comeback, which we'll get into shortly after this. So before we get back into the game here, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this uh, excellent tidbit from Sam McManus, who was the LA Times beat writer uh, that year, and did almost every game from what I can recall, just going back to the archives that year, was just, he did a lot of games. That's a lot of travel and a lot of work, uh, and salute to Sam McManus in 1988, but um, this was in the, like, the, sort of, the notes section at the end of the like game story from that July 6th game and you know where you sort of just list random things like so and so is dealing with the calf injury or you know whatever like um I think there was something from Fred Clare who was the GM that year at the time just you know some little aside that doesn't necessarily warrant its own story but sort of a catch-all notes section this is directly from the, the that section from uh, Sam McManus a uh, quote Actors Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen worked out with the Dodgers before Wednesday's game in preparation for an upcoming film with a baseball theme. Former Dodger Steve Yeager is serving as a technical advisor on the project. Unquote. Uh, that's just perfect because I, uh, Major League uh, is my favorite baseball movie. Uh, I love it. And um, I, I like that it's linked up here with this uh, game that's also very special to me uh, in many ways. But... Um, yeah, uh, Major League, pretty great. Uh, I thought that was neat. Uh, but back to the game now. So you have Jose De Leon cruising, shut out through seven. He's only at 98 pitches. Now, obviously, it was a different time back then. You, he, he probably doesn't start the eighth, or maybe he does. Who knows it, today? But, like, obviously, this is 37 years ago, 34 years ago, excuse me. Um, and so he, he stayed in uh, to start the eighth. Uh, Kurt Gibson singled through what, what Tony Gwynn used to call the 5.5 hole. It was a ground ball between uh, shortstop and third, and he got a single to open the inning. One out later, Shelby uh, singled to center. So you have runners on first and second, tying run at the plate. Um, so they brought in Ken Daly, who's a lefty, to face Mike Sosha. But then Lasorda countered with uh, backup catcher Rick Dempsey, who was a right-handed batter. Now, Dempsey was 38 in 1988, and, you know, he won the World Series MVP with the Orioles five years earlier. So he wasn't bad, but he was clearly, like, back up the, nowadays. But 
it was his 20th season in the majors. He started really young. Uh, he, he would end up uh, playing 24 years in the majors. Just a remarkable career. But So he signed with the Dodgers uh, prior to the 88 season. He was basically like the perfect backup catcher that year. Um, he had 198 plate appearances, so, so basically 200 plate appearances. He hit seven home runs and 13 doubles. He just basically gave them like a lot of pop every once in a while off the bench. Um, uh, and he, his 129 OPS plus was the best of his career. Um, actually, I guess outside of his rookie year, which I believe he batted total a total of 10 times, so that doesn't really count. So, um, naturally, when Dempsey was brought in here, he doubled the left field, scoring both Gibson and Shelby. So, now the Dodgers are only within a run. So, uh, there's no three-batter minimum back then, obviously. So, Whitey Herzog, uh, he pulled Ken Daly after just the one batter. And then he called on his closer, Todd Worrell. Uh, two years earlier, was Rookie of the Year. He actually led the league with 36 saves that year as a rookie. Um, and then famously, uh, again, thanks to Topps, uh, who had a, a record breaker card for Todd Worrell in the 1987 set, uh, most saves by a rookie with 36. Um, and then, but this is 88, so he, he was a really good closer. And uh, Lasorda countered with um, left handed batter Danny Heap to bat for Jeff Hamilton, third baseman, who's a righty, but Heap flew out. So there's now two outs in the inning, and the Cardinals still lead by one. Uh, Worrell threw a wild pitch, got Dempsey to third, and then Dave Anderson uh, singled to center to tie the game. Mickey Hatcher then came a pinch hit for Cruz, uh, and he reached on an infield single, and then they brought in Mike Sharperson to pinch run for him. So I, you might be wondering, who were all some of these names? Like Some of them you might recognize, some of them you might not, but it was a very busy inning for what the Dodgers called the stuntmen that year. It was their... They're sort of core group of reserves, the, the players who didn't start that much, but when they did, they sort of made contributions. And I, you know, nowadays uh, teams um, have s- sort of a ready supply of, um, they're able to like make shirts uh, very quickly, like o- over some random thing that happens one day, you might see like 40 shirts in the, in the clubhouse the next, very next day. Back then it wasn't that easy to, to get shirts, but I, I want to say, I'm almost certain they had shirts made up that said the stuntmen that year. Um, so a lot of them made huge contributions, like famously Mickey Hatcher um, hit two home runs in the World Series. Um, he was great. Um, so in the eighth inning, these are sort of stuntmen or stuntmen adjacent folks uh, who sort of participated in the rally. Uh, Rick Dempsey, Danny Heap, Dave Anderson, uh, Mickey Hatcher and Mike Sharperson. That's that's a lot of reserves uh, involved in this rally. So, so you have you have two on, or uh, no, I'm sorry, one. Uh, yeah, two on, uh, and it's a tie game now. And then Steve Sachs walked. Um, so that brings up Franklin Stubbs. Bases loaded, tie game. Stubbs uh, was a first round pick in '82, and I, you know, if you look like like a lot of players in this sort of era, is probably a decade plus where the Dodgers had guys who put up huge numbers in Albuquerque and, um, you know, basically on the moon and, and, you know, not saying nobody knew about park factors at the time, but it was like, it seemed to be a shock to the system when those numbers didn't always translate, uh, at sea level and, and in the majors. And so they had a lot of guys who were like super hyped up who didn't quite live up to the hype. Like if you look at Mike Marshall, he had a very productive career, like especially with the Dodgers. But I think most people would look upon him as like a disappointment, even though he was like a well above average hitter. 
Uh, it's just that his like triple crown season with Albuquerque and I like eighty one, I guess, is like one of the great minor league seasons uh, of in recent memory. And it's just he was never going to live up to that hype. So like it's just this weird expectation machine. So the expectation wasn't quite that high. It wasn't nearly that high actually for Stubbs. But like he was a semi decent or a decent like semi regular for the Dodgers for a, a few years. Um, he hit 23 home runs in 86, but obviously there, there were some flaws. Like he never uh, posted an on-base percentage above 291 until 89. That was his sixth year in the majors, although the first couple were just like sort of cups of coffee. Um, the aforementioned Mike Marshall, that year began the year at first base. The Dodgers had Mike Davis in right field. He was um, their free agent, or one of their free agent signees who I believe he hit 24 home runs for the A's of the year before. He ended up hitting two home runs all year for the Dodgers. He was a huge bust, uh, but then famously obviously walked uh, in game one of the World Series, so all is forgiven. Um, but yeah, so he was benched in June or so that year and, and just was kind of like an intermittent starter the rest of the way. Mike Marshall moved to right, uh, and that opened up first base, and that kind of gave Stubbs a chance for more playing time. It wasn't quite a platoon. He basically played like half the games at first the rest of the way. Um, so he's the ninth batter of this eighth inning, Stubbs, Franklin Stubbs. He had the longest at bat of the frame. It was eight pitches. And on the eighth pitch, uh, he crushed a ball into the right field pavilion. Uh, if you look at like a, a, a video, I can't find a specific video of the play. There's an old, um, like Dodger season and review tape that has a shot of the, the home run on it. Uh, and the, the right field pavilion, it was empty that night. And they used to do that sometimes where they would just not sell, like a whole section, especially like that. And um, the attendance, that game was still 37,000. Um, so it wasn't like necessarily a bad game, but they just would, would like sort of, if they weren't going to sell out, they would just like, okay, we're going to not man that section essentially. But yeah, it was just kind of jarring to see it hit into a, like a completely empty area. But um, Vin Scully's call, I will link to it in the... Um, in the show notes, but yeah, he, he has sort of the a neat inflection. Um, and, uh, it's a slam was how he sort of ended it with, with the classic Vince Scully inflection. I'm not going to do an impression. Um, Steve Dilbeck, um, who's covered baseball forever. Um, he, uh, in the San Bernardino sun, his game recap, he, he, this was his lead, uh, quote, prepare yourself when games like this happen, it's bound to start. Other explanations don't work anyway. So start getting ready, people. Just or start getting ready. People just may be about to start calling the Dodgers a team of destiny. Unquote. So yeah, he was right on that. They did call them that, and they kind of were that. How it played out. So that was the first Grand Slam of uh, Franklin Stubbs' career. It was the only one he'd hit as a Dodger. He ended up hitting two more with the Brewers. Uh, one in '91, another in '92. So two weeks later, after the All Star break. Uh, Todd Worrell, he got two saves against the Dodgers in St. Louis in a series. He actually struck out Stubbs in the, the second out of the ninth of his first save there. So uh, so a small modicum of revenge, uh, in, in a sense. So, but I was looking at this, the stats for me don't necessarily matter. It's not what I remember the most. Obviously the grand slam is a stat and it's a thing, uh, except that, so what I, what sort of sticks out to me for a couple reasons is. So July 6th uh, was my dad's birthday. Um, this was the second July 6th since he died of pancreatic cancer in January of 87. 
So I, I was looking back at this. I'm not a lot. I know a lot of people this um, every once in a while on Twitter or something. People will share like, what was your first game or, or you know, or something like that. And um, they'll have, you know, vivid details of like, oh, I saw the grass for the first time or, or whatever at a certain stadium. I don't remember the specific details of my first probably five to six games. Um, but So I don't have like, I can definitively say like this was my first time at the stadium. I remember at some point very early in the 80s, um, there was one game that was like a maybe a family reunion thing or maybe it was just with, with my uncle and aunt and and uh, my cousin, uh, a couple cousins. And I just remember me and my cousin were like just making jokes the whole game and not really paying attention to the game. We were like super young, you know, maybe like seven, seven and six or something like that. So this would have been around 83. Um but I don't. I have no idea who played in that game or when it was. Um, the one, the sp- game, the first game I can like definitively say I was at was Sock Day in 1985. It was September 7th, um, a, a Saturday day game at Dodger Stadium. Uh, this was one night after uh, Fernando Valenzuela and Doc Gooden uh, battled into extra innings, just a tremendous pitchers duel. Um, I went to that Saturday game with both of my brothers. Uh, so I was nine, Greg was 19, and then our, our older oldest brother, Kelly, was 24. Um, obviously, that made it special to me, and not just because uh, Greg was stung by a bee who laid in wait on his Coke can that he brought from Tommy's. We, we've got, like, pregame lunch at Tommy's, and I think Greg didn't drink the Coke in the car on the way over, and he, he pulled the Coke out and was drinking it on, in the parking lot at Dodger Stadium on the way inside, and the bee was still there, apparently, and stung him on the lip. And we all had a good laugh about that. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, three years later, uh, Franklin Stubbs gave me another memory, shared with one of my brothers. Greg was at this one, obviously. So a seven-run rally, you don't really see that. It's one of the, It was sort of the latest improbable win in a season full of them for the Dodgers. Uh, but, yeah, well, what I remember most, aside from just the, the game, obviously, it was a huge win. But um, it, it, how loud the stadium was at the time. And I think that may be the first time I recognized that or realized like what that could feel like. And then also how loud both Greg and I were yelling uh, after the Grand Slam. It was just like an outpouring of pure joy and possibly the hardest high five in recorded history between Greg and I. Again, at the time, so he's I'm 12, he's 22. So uh, imagine the, the, you know, the difference in, in sizes there. But yeah, it was it was pretty great, and uh, that's that's what makes July sixth special to me. So uh, hope you're enjoying the day. Hope you enjoyed this story, and we'll be back with some more baseball stuff uh, tomorrow. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>